This week on In Debt with Ulrika Lobo, we've got a special episode for you with a very special guest. We've got Lincoln Frost, who works in property finance, and he's going to give us some insight into his industry and how he helps his clients. Without further ado, let's introduce Lincoln. Thank you very much, Ulrika. Uh, my name is Lincoln Frost. I'm the Managing Director of All Cap Finance. We are a boutique uh, property finance advisory business, and we provide structured capital solutions to some of Australia's leading property developers. That's great. You know, um, one of the main reasons I wanted to talk to you is because there's a lot of misconception about, you know, the third party channel and the value that they can bring to clients. Um, and I wanted to get an understanding of the different function areas of your business. So what are the different services you provide? Uh, essentially, we work up the full capital stack. So it's not just a debt advisory business. Uh, we provide, uh, we help clients to arrange first mortgage finance. We also arrange mezzanine finance, which is like a second mortgage. Uh, we provide preferred equity solutions and sometimes equity solutions. Um, so it's a little bit different to your typical mortgage broker where we find ourselves to be a bit more bespoke, uh, often quite structured transactions. That's great. And so, you know, in a typical day for a typical deal, is there any such thing as that firstly? And do you have a typical client? I don't really think we've got a typical client and there's actually not a, a typical day. It's uh, every day is quite different. We've, I guess we've got like a, a pipeline of clients. There's sort of these prospective leads that we, so we generally get uh, new clients by cold calling. Um, so we run a, run a uh, like a work in progress funnel. We have prospective clients, we contact them, we meet with them. We never try and push for their business. We just basically relationship builders. And then when they're looking for some type of finance solution, we you know get the iterations of the deal and then we work that towards a working on an offer and at that point we're going uh, assessing the deal speaking to some of our capital our lending network or our capital network and then presenting those structured solutions to our clients sure and when when you are going to the network to find a structured solution as you said um what I guess what, how big is that panel of lenders and how do you choose the best option for a client Good question. Uh, so in the private lending space, and we don't deal with banks uh, at all. We we work with them if there's like a mezzanine loan behind a bank. But in the non-bank uh, finance space, it's not as though there's a big panel of lenders that say a typical resi broker would have through the aggregation panel. It's it's a network of you know, private funds and private uh, you know, credit lenders that we've worked on and built over the last eight years. Uh, so when when we're going to that network, it's kind of, it's almost in the back of our head. We know who is best for this type of transaction. And you can only really learn that with experience. Absolutely right. Yeah. So our uh, you know, biz business tagline is experience, relationship, and capital. And those are the sort of the three pillars. The experience being the biggest one there, it's a, it's a pretty tough industry. Um, there's a lot of you know war stories about private capital, about borrowers losing money, about uh, lenders losing money and uh, it's, it's it's not for the faint-hearted. Are you seeing that more and more in this economy or is that something that's been a theme throughout your experience? I think it's been a theme theme throughout. So, so we, I came into this space in 2014, 15. That was when the banks had uh, effectively stopped all the overseas buyers. Um, so all those pre-sales and those selling networks uh, into China and other parts of Asia and, and overseas, uh, the government, or sorry, the banks 
um, cancelled any of those contracts as being qualifying pre-sales. Uh, so that's when we sort of came into the market. And I think it was a less mature private capital market at that point in time. So it was probably more difficult to navigate. There was more of those problems back then. Since then, and over the last eight years, things have matured a lot. There's a bit more transparency. Uh, there is still a lot of you know, dodgy type stuff that goes on. There's a lot of lenders that don't have money and those sorts of things. But I'd say there's probably less of that uh, now than there was sort of 2015, 16. Sure. You know what? I've actually heard that those kinds of horror stories are still quite prevalent. I've heard a couple as well myself in the last two years. You know, speaking from someone who has had experience, you know, with a client that may have gone through that process, tell me one of those horror stories um, because some I don't think a lot of um, commercial brokers particularly new commercial brokers understand how important it is to vet your lender and you know their their history in the market and their reputation in the market so is there a very clear example where you know a client was misled um, and what were the consequences of that I think there's probably many different war stories uh, for, for clients um, one one example is in private lending, the, the lender doesn't always have the certainty of funding behind them, and you don't know that until you've kind of dealt with them before and you've had success or or not. Um, so there's groups that will issue a, a loan offer but don't actually have the capital there to back that loan offer. An example is a client has received a, call it a $30 million construction finance offer, and part of those funds is being used to repay an existing private debt facility. And come settlement day, the lender there didn't actually raise the capital, so they couldn't settle the transaction. The client then is left in a position of uh, that this one was actually defaulted because the money wasn't repaid and the receiver was appointed within a couple of days. So it's it's a very, I'd say timing timing is critical in this market. And a lot of the lenders there, they provide a great service. They charge accordingly but there's no mucking around when it comes to recovery of capital. Do you see that uh, these situations are more common in the larger end of town? So when you are doing larger deal sizes or is it just across the board? I think it's across the board. And with the, the marketplace of lenders out there, some are more flexible than others. Some are just very rigorous. So you know, a, a day over and then they're charging default rates, default uh, default fees. Others are more flexible. And I guess one of the value adds as a broker is to know which of those private lenders are going to work with a client through a difficult situation. So that client who had the other lender that didn't turn up to settlement, that's not their fault. And you know, one lender might throw the book at them. Another lender might go, okay, I understand. Let's try and work out a solution. So, you know, all your equity is not being eroded uh, in interest and fees. And you're talking about the lender that was expecting to exit by that date. Correct. Yes. Yeah. So what are some of the penalties you've seen for clients? You know, how, how big can the consequences be? Look, a, a lot of these mortgage documents have some pretty serious you know, default fees built into them. And you know, there could be a 2% default fee upfront, um, then further loan management fees, recovery fees, it, it could be anywhere as high as say you know, four to five percent of the gross loan amount being charged immediately as a fee, and then uh, the default interest usually commences immediately, and it's done in probably thirty day brackets. So on that one day, they might get five percent in fees, plus they're being charged default interest for the next thirty days, and that could be as high as twenty percent per annum, sometimes higher. 
Yeah. Wow. And, you know, I think a lot of clients, borrowers, they don't really know what they don't know when it comes to these situations, which is where I imagine someone like yourself, someone who's had his experience in the market can, can definitely guide them through that. Have you got a hero story, you know, one where you really uh, delivered an amazing result for a client? Yeah, probably. The, I guess a hero story would be there was a client late last year and there was a, they had a receiver appointed on their loan um, and it was the same situation where they had a, a lender lined up. The lender didn't come through with the money. Um, the existing financier got very frustrated, appointed a receiver. And it was it was down to the wire. They're about to lose the whole whole site. It's a you know it's an eighty hundred million dollar you know, end value project, and it was sort of that last week leading to Christmas where I found a lender who was prepared to you know, lend at very short notice and came through almost on the last hexa day uh, of the year to settle a transaction. Wow, you know it's interesting. I, um, while you were telling me the story, I'm just imagining the stress levels through that entire process, yes. trying to find a solution. And I think you know um, something borrowers may not appreciate is that you're sharing that stressful journey right there with them. Oh, absolutely. So with my wife and three kids, <laughs> and all the stresses that 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 are there, it's just uh, you do feel the client stress. You try to sort of put it out of your mind, but when when they're calling you, when the outgoing lender's calling you. Uh, yeah, you do. You do tend to take it on, but you know it's part and parcel of, of what we do. Do you think that's where you know some um, professionals like yourself really differentiate themselves in the market? Is those that do care about the client outcome and share that journey with them, and those that might say just it's too hard? Yeah, I completely agree. Um, I think a lot of brokers, maybe not a lot of brokers, but there's there's plenty out there that would treat treat these more as transactions. Uh, but we kind of get very close to the borrower we're close to the lenders and you do really take ownership of you know what you're doing you've raised it just going through that just going through that I had a thought too so it's not just important to have experience and uh, some kind of due diligence in how you choose lenders but also in how you choose the finance professionals that are going to support you through that journey how would someone uh, who's met you for the first time know that you are the right person to work with? I think what we tend to do is our initial conversation and pitch to a client is, you know, this is the types of services that we can offer. And uh, here's a sort of a track record. And we give them some re recent examples. Uh, we do not take any upfront fees. We're paid on success only. And we start out uh, communicating our transparency and how we operate. And that generally gives a client comfort that if they are going to take that next step with us, that it's not going to cost them anything. And it's almost like a, a free carry. And I say to them, we, we back ourselves to get the job done for you and we don't charge anything up front. So it's uh, starting out like that tends to gain that first you know level of trust. And trust is such a sensitive topic in the industry too, because um, from your perspective, working on that basis is quite exposing too. Oh, it is. And you know, we've, we've had you know, horror stories in the past where, you know, we've, we start with offering a level of trust and we're pretty transparent about what lenders we're dealing with. And we've had many cases where clients will cut us, cut us out of a transaction, try and go directly to the lender uh, on those, those types of things. And, but it generally comes back to us because we've got a good relationship with those lenders that um, they're on the phone straight away to us saying, Hey, the client's trying to deal with us directly. And you know, we probably just move on from that client after that point in time. Cause we, 
we won't be bitten twice. We'll just give one opportunity and it's, it goes both ways and we expect sort of mutual respect. Um, yeah, sure. From an industry perspective, having uh, a success fee-based engagement seems to be quite popular. Would you say it's a red flag if you're working with a professional that does take upfront fees or do you think that's still a very reasonable approach, especially given the trust um, dynamic that needs to happen between the client and the broker? Uh, look, I think an upfront fee is often, it's, it's not a bad thing. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't call it a red flag if, if uh, you know, the broker does do a significant amount of work prior to getting paid. And you know some some brokers choose to operate like that because they may have had a track record of doing a lot of work and then getting mucked around by a client. So it's kind of horses for courses. Uh, some brokers do it their way, we do it our way, and it's worked for us. Yeah, sure. And obviously, being in this industry, taking on that amount of stress and responsibility. I mean, you're working with huge deals in the commercial space. People have their career, their reputation on the line. Uh, what got you into this industry? I think it was uh, almost fell into this industry. So I was in financial planning for about eight years uh, prior to this. And over that time, I had done some residential mortgage broking just through an aggregator platform. And the 2014-15 uh, saw a, a need um, for you know, in this private capital market or the non-bank non market. And originally, we were going to set up to assist residential uh, assist to do the residential loans for those buy, buying off a developer. And in that process, we quickly found out there's actually the developer that probably had a greater need uh, for capital than the uh, purchaser. Yeah, sure. And because you've had that experience in uh, residential mortgage broking, how different would you say working in this commercial space is compared to when you were doing the residential work? Vastly. <laughs> uh, it's, it's a very different space as i mentioned before there's you know there's no sort of set private lender aggregation panel you can go to uh, it's a very i'd call it a, a fragmented market it is you know, becoming less fragmented and has done over the last you know, eight eight or nine years um, but it's a completely different ball game and it's probably also worth delineating you know commercial finance broking versus the types of work that we do it's almost a third type of type of work. So commercial finance, you're typically financing, you know, business borrowers on, you know, it might be a retail or commercial premises or you know, industrial factory, but this is, you know, our focus is a lot on development finance and it kind of, it's its own, it's, its own beast. Sure. And in terms of just going to the commercial finance aspect, because I imagine there would be a few commercial finance brokers listening in or those looking to get into it. Uh, are you, how broad is the commercial finance space? I'd say it's, it's incredibly broad. So it probably covers every type of finance, you know, that isn't residential, you know, co coded loan finance. So we're talking, I mean, just to give some examples, there's obviously trade finance, cash flow loans. Um, you've obviously got property finance. What's the list? Oh, uh, well, you, you've mentioned mentioned a few there, and I still put a lot of those under commercial finance. Your, your typical plain vanilla commercial finance. Um, so I guess we deal in development side acquisition, uh, construction loans, development loans, and when, what we call an investment loan is probably for 
a, a stabilized asset that's already been built out like a, a pub or a shopping center and you know that's got leases in place and you'd look for an investment loan because it's more of a, a long-term sort of uh, debt facility you'd be getting for that type of client. Uh, when you say um, that there are some vanilla type commercial finance deals versus specialized type deals, is it because in the specialized, what makes them specialized is the fact that um, there's a lot of unique aspects to that deal? Or is it that it's specialized because there are only a few players that you may know of that will deal with those types of transactions? Yeah, I think that's, that's probably the way, best way to describe it is, you know, the available the marketplace for lenders uh, in, into these types, different types of transactions is much uh, you know, less broad. In terms of, you know, uh, commercial finance transactions as well, one big part of it is the ancillary activity and understanding the periphery of that space. And you mentioned you've got your advisory component. So do you also advise clients on pathways and structures? The actual loan loan component of our business is the main business is the main part of the business that's where we earn our revenue from the ancillary things we i guess we provide those at no cost so the advisory part isn't really a revenue you know, generator for us it might be that the project is not ready for um commencement and so we we might talk about you know getting a land bank facility we might talk about extending uh the settlement period on a contract we might talk about um doing a early works facility on a development site while they create some value and de-risk the site before another slice of capital can come in. So that's kind of all the value add stuff outside of a particular loan. And and that kind of speaks a lot to that journey of a client as well through the process. It's not just a one transaction touch and go situation, is it? Uh, it's it's certainly not. And so when I, when I mentioned that you know, the bulk of our business is, you know, a lot of it now is referral, uh, word of mouth, but um, we're still cold calling. We're still meeting new people. And as I said, I don't go and ask for somebody's business now. I, I meet them. And an example now, I'm working on a, a transaction up in the Gold Coast. For, and this was a result of a cold call that I made you know, a year and a half ago. And I've stayed in touch with that person. Uh, we've contacted each other to bounce ideas off each other. And at that point in time, when I first saw them, they already had a financier lined up. And it's, you know, that relationship's been built over time. And now they've come back to me, you know, five months out of, um, you know, needing this you know, fairly large construction facility to ask my, my thoughts. And I put something together. It looks like we're now going to win that that deal. So speaking of the Gold Coast and the client you help there, the Gold Coast is quite a hot spot. I'm wondering, could you share any thoughts about that region? Because a lot of lenders um, are quite excited about the Gold Coast. Yeah, so the Gold Coast... It, it's a unique market and people described as either boom or bust, um, but this time it's in a bit of a boom cycle and it doesn't seem to be going anywhere. And whether that's sort of the changing nature of people's ability to work remotely or the Olympic Games, I'm not too sure. It's probably yet to be played out, but um, certainly on the Gold Coast, it's it's tricky because uh, construction, rising construction costs have hurt a lot of projects and there's a lot, there's probably 90% of the DAs that actually get approved up there uh, won't get built out. That's, yeah. a, that's a surprising statistic, and that's probably, probably a well-known fact for anyone you speak to on the Gold Coast. And what's added fuel to that fire is the increasing uh, construction costs. Uh, so basically a developer buys a piece of land and their feasibility is generally understood when they buy that piece of land. You get rising interest rates and nobody expected this many rate rises, rising construction costs, and suddenly the project becomes unfeasible. 
So when approaching a project that might be based in the Gold Coast or any other region that you're familiar with, you're also bringing that property experience and knowledge to the client and advising them on how to, say, adjust their feasibility and how to meet requirements in that situation? Yeah, I think that's sort of part of the experience that we have is being able to look at a client's feasibility to be able to, you know, call people in our network, whether it be a builder or a quantity surveyor, and say, does this construction cost make sense? I'll speak to an agent, does this revenue make sense? And you can quickly tell a client with a great degree of accuracy, your project is not going to work. And it might not be the thing that they want to hear, but it's it's better that they know that now rather than jumping into a new loan and just kicking that can down the road for the inevitable. How do you navigate that conversation? Because there have been a lot of changing expectations given the rapid rate rises, the inflation, and like you said, the blowouts of costs, supply chains being unreliable. How do you convince a client this is what is going to happen? Unfortunately, it's not going to be as you expected. Well, it just comes back to us being transparent and we'll be open and honest with the client and we'll give them our opinion. And quite often, if it's not what they want to hear, if they've got a different opinion, they might go elsewhere uh, to someone that's going to tell them what they want to hear. And then they'll come back? Sometimes they come back. Sometimes we can, you know, again, in terms of ancillary services, we might say, hey, there's not enough equity in this project to make it work. Have you thought about bringing on a delivery partner? Or have you thought about uh, raising some preferred equity or some mezzanine finance? That's great. So you definitely offer solutions to help them in that situation. Absolutely. Like we, having that sort of experience up the capital stack, um, we can offer different sorts of capital solutions. Uh, One, they might be expensive and they might not like them, but at some point, no, no amount of capital solution can fix a project and we'll be quite, you know, blunt about that as well. Sure. So in helping clients with those kinds of pain points, to pivot a little bit to the lending industry, are there any particular pain points that you would like lenders to appreciate or acknowledge, you know, when we move into this new economy in 2023? Yeah, I guess my, my comment would to lenders would be um, quick decision-making, fast turnarounds, quick yeses or nos. You know what's so funny? That is supposed to be the deal-winning criteria in the private lending space. Mm. That should be the qualifier but yet that's something that still falls apart. So in uh, the lenders that we have typically given the bulk of our business to is not just the cheapest lender. It's a lender that we know has the money, obviously, uh, and is reliable. It's for fast turnaround. So in the private private capital space, it's generally speed, speed is everything. And those lenders that come back quickest um, with either a yes or a no, um, they're the ones that the client is going to want to go for. And they might not be the, the cheapest, but it's just that speed, speed, speed to market. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's great to know because I think a lot of there's a lot of conception that you know price is everything and everyone just looks at the interest rate. But the three um, the the feedback that you're giving is essentially that it's outside of the in- interest rate that really matters. Yeah, look, to some clients it is it's very cost driven, um, but I think for those that are probably more familiar with the private capital market, uh, it's definitely results driven. So I've got clients that will come to me and go. I'll pay 15% if you can get me the money in seven days. You know? Or if, if these guys are going to be here for my next project, I don't mind paying paying a bit more. So it's a, it's a very different kind of mental analysis that the client does. Sure. You know, those 15% deals you get, you can bring them my way. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> uh, so I guess I want to wrap up a little bit. You've shared so much valuable feedback about the industry. Um, 
what I want to round off is, is there any advice you would give to brokers navigating this space or finance professionals or borrowers? Uh, look, in terms of brokers navigating the space, I'd just word of caution is to, to, to tread carefully. Um, you know, don't if you are getting into it and you don't know the lenders you're dealing with, do your due diligence, speak to another broker, find out before you go and put your client in a particular situation. Actually, one thing that's interesting, and it's what I've seen a lot in the market, is a lot of brokers co-brokering deals. So they come together, they work together through the whole deal. Is that something that would help them in navigating the process and vetting lenders, especially ones that they haven't worked with before? Yeah, I, I think that's, uh, it's funny, like, um, I don't know of many other industries where brokers do work together and they work together quite well. And certainly for, you know, the, the novice broker getting into this space to co-broker, like if they bring along uh, the deal and the client uh, and to basically to le leverage off an existing experienced broker to get the deal done and whether they share the commission down the middle or whatever, it's up to them. But um yeah, we've we've certainly done that in the past as we've built our own sort of network of lenders and competency. And just um to finish off a cheeky question, Lincoln, how do you balance family and work? <laughs> <laughs> I don't. <laughs> uh, as an example, I had a meeting this morning and I I, I took my six month old boy with me to the meeting. And uh, look, it's it I think life's a bit of a juggle for everybody. Um, so Mary, I've got three three kids, and you know when you need to. You do what you do to, um, you know, keep keep things moving along. Did the uh, cute little baby help you push the deal across the line? Uh, deal done. Sign, sign and delivered. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Hot tip. Bring your baby to your next meeting. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much, Lincoln. Uh, it's been an absolute pleasure having you. You've really shared uh, a lot of insight into the industry, into the profession, and it's been an absolute pleasure. You're most welcome. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you for listening to In Debt with Ulrika Lobo this week. I'll see you next week.